You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from Pastor Lee Mason. Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, turn to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to get into chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. It's in the New Testament. We've been uh, doing a series which we are calling uh, Trustworthy Sayings. We are looking at three books uh, that are in the Bible, First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. They are called by, they're sort of categorized as by people that categorize book in the Bibles as the pastoral epistles. Because they're written by the Apostle Paul to two young pastors. Uh, one is Timothy, one is Titus. Timothy is in a large metro city uh, called Ephesus. Titus is on a Greek island called Crete. And he is writing to them about uh, just how to lead a church, how to, how to manage a church, uh, how to handle issues that are going on, and how to themselves be excellent ministers and be really capable. And uh, as, as he's going through there, and when you read these books, you'll see a phrase that will pop up often, and you'll see these types of phrases pop up even more throughout these pastoral epistles. And it says, this is a trustworthy saying. And what we pretty much have come to understand is that when Christianity started out, there were several, uh, the, the way it communicated its unique doctrine, its unique teaching about Christ and about life and about salvation was through these sort of pithy sayings. They're sort of packed with theology and information. And they were part of what they called the apostolic corpus or the apostolic council. It was just a, a, probably a collection of sayings that, they, that just communicated their theology and communicated Christianity. So when we read these, they're really important because it tells us what were the sort of early initial and what the apostles felt were the most essential beliefs of Christianity. And then when Paul's writing to these guys, to Timothy and Titus, he's writing to them about situations that are going on in their churches, problems they're having, that they're having to deal with. And he's basically referring to these passages to say, look, this is what we believe. And he kind of tells them how to, how to apply them to real issues in life. So these are, are very important passages to look at. And uh, so let's look at this one. First Timothy chapter 1. Let me start in verse 12, we'll read through verse 17. Paul writes, and he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, and he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and in unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternally, immortal, invisible, 
the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, what Paul is going to talk about in this passage is the point. What is the point of Christianity? And he's going to talk about the tendency we have as human beings to miss the point. There's a story of of, uh, Sherlock Holmes and his assistant Watson that once they were on an investigation and a case and they were out in the countryside, out in the fields investigating, and it kind of, their work had gone on longer than they thought. It had gotten extended, and it was going to take several days. And so they were out in this field, and they pitched a tent, and they went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes wakes up his assistant, Dr. Watson. He says, Dr. Watson, look up at the sky. And what do you see? And Dr. Watson says, well, Mr. Holmes, I see probably millions of stars. They're beautiful, and they're twinkling, and they're fascinating. And also, there must be 10,000 planets that I'm looking at. And I would think of those 10,000 planets, some of them must be much like our Earth. And I have to think, Mr. Holmes, that there's a possibility that there's life out there in space in other places. And Sherlock Holmes looks at him and says, Watson, you idiot. Someone has stolen our tent. Think about that one a while. It'll, it'll, it'll catch up with you. Appreciate that. That was supposed to be the single funniest joke ever, according to a study, and you barely laughed. <laughs> so I'm going to go home today and eat bad food and watch football and <laughs> think about how to do better next week, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but we missed the point. Missing the point is something easy we do. It's like I remember years ago there was a product that came out, I kid you not, called sugar-free, fat-free ice cream. It didn't do very well because sugar-free, fat-free ice cream, it misses the point. It just misses the point. And so what Paul's doing in this passage, if you read the very beginning of it, uh, he, he write in, and this is a problem that was going on in Timothy's uh, world in Ephesus and his church, and he was having to deal with it, is that there were teachers that were missing the point. And if you could read it, if you wanted to read it in verse 5, this is how he describes these guys in verse 4. He says they're teaching false doctrines in verse 3. He says they're devoting themselves to endless genealogies and myths. And then he goes on and he talks about how they are uh, promoting controversial speculations and they're into meaningless talk. You know, genealogies, myths, speculations, meaningless talk. You know, several years ago there was a popular book that came out called the Da Vinci Code, which talked about, and they, they were, the author, Dan Brown, was trying to make the point, is an old ancient legend that the blood of Christ was actually a child that Jesus and Martha had had together. 
and that this child had been hidden and had, had the descendants of this child were now in what was called the Merodingian dynasty in France. Just a crazy, stupid speculation. There are several crazy, silly speculations. There are teachings and ideas and thoughts that Christians get obsessed with that do nothing to advance God's work. And Paul is looking at this and he goes, man, there are these guys teaching this stuff. And people are getting into these things, these sort of side issues. And he, so he calls them false doctrines. And what he doesn't mean, they aren't heresies. They aren't things that, that if you believe you're just no longer a Christian, but they're just misappropriated. They're either, they're, 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 they're things that are opaque that they're trying to be clear about. They're, they're just false doctrines, a false approach to truth and to Christian teaching. And he says, man, they're just wasting people's time. These are meaningless thoughts. You know, if you, uh, I don't know how many times in this last year I have gotten a prophetic message about COVID. Some preacher has incredible insight into why COVID happened, and they're telling, and people just get excited about this stuff. I don't know how many prophecies I've gotten about the election. And how to interpret it. Just meaningless talk. It has Christians just walking around in circles, wasting their lives, becoming sugar free, fat free ice cream. <laughs> and it's not just those things, it can be doctrines. Look, I don't know how many times I've seen somebody get headwire over the doctrine of predestination. They literally can't think beyond it. I see people get involved in social actions that they, that they think are more important than the gospel. And, and you, you, it is so easy to do this. And so right out of the gate, first chapter of this first letter to his protege Timothy, his closest protege, he says, look, I want you to command them to stop doing this. I want this stuff to stop. Let's stop this stuff. And let's get people focused on the main thing. Let's get them focused on advancing God's work, which is by faith. And then he goes on here, and it's kind of cool how he writes this. If you get in verse 12, he's thinking about these guys, and he thinks about himself. It's kind of neat how Paul does this in verse 12 through 14. He goes, you know, I, I understand where these guys are coming from because I was once like them. You know, Paul kind of sees himself in these guys that are sort of going wayward. He goes, yeah, you know, I can, I remember me. You know, I was so convinced that Christianity was wrong. I was out putting people in jail and killing people, and I was, I was a complete mess. I missed the point. Did I ever miss the point? I fought against the point. And so Paul sees himself in these, these guys and he talks about his own conversion. And then he talks, he says this in verse 15. And this is something I want us to, to blaze in our minds like Paul wanted Timothy to blaze this in the mind of his congregation in Ephesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is it. Trustworthy saying deserves full acceptance, deserves full embrace, deserves to be obsessed about. Not these other things that are keeping you awake at night on YouTube. This is what is, needs to be fully embraced. Verse 15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 
Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And here's what Paul is saying. This is the point. Jesus Christ came into our world to save sinners. Let's talk about these two things that he's talking about here. Jesus Christ came into our world. Jesus Christ came into our world. John 1.14 talks about the, what we call the incarnation, the, the miracle of God becoming man. In John 1, he talks about how he calls Jesus the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And, and what he means by that is basically the, the, the brilliance behind creation was what that word word meant. The Greek word's logos, the brilliance, the organite, the logic, the reasoning, the, the, the mind behind creation, the Word. Verse 14, he says he became flesh. He became human. He dwelt among us. The way the translation of the Bible, the message calls us, it says, God became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Came flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. And John elaborates that he showed us what God is really like. He says, we beheld the glory. We beheld the spectacular of God in this human being. You know, in the Old Testament, there are many uh, appearings of God throughout it that are supernatural. We call those theophanies. Everybody say the word theophany. Well, that's pretty good. Say it one more time. The theophany. Theophany is a cool word. It just means God appearing. It's like a cool thing. Let me give you a couple examples of these in the Bible. Uh, there's a story. It's probably very famous. Our uh, young people here could tell us this story, but it's of Jacob's ladder. Jacob was a guy running away from his past, running away from some really selfish, deviant, self-centered decisions he had made that had put a breach between him and his brother. And he was running for his life. One night he's sleeping out in the field on a smooth stone, and he has a, the he has a dream, and he sees a ladder coming down from heaven to earth. That is God appearing to him uh, as a ladder coming down from heaven to earth. And he was just wowed by it. That's a theophany. You know, the story of Moses when he was called to go uh, lead the Hebrew people out of slavery from the cruelty of, of Egypt. And he, he had a theophany. He was out in the middle of a field one day and he was watching his sheep as an 80-year-old man leaning on an old walking stick, and he sees a bush catch on fire, and the bush doesn't burn. It's not consumed. It's just burning and burning, and it's not burning up. And he's, then he hears a voice speaking to him from it. That's a theophany. It's an appearing of God. It's God appearing to him. And there's a story in the book of Daniel of four Hebrew boys, three Hebrew boys, excuse me, who would not bow to an idol that king had set up, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They didn't bow, and they went before the king, and the king told them, you better bow or you're going to be burned alive in this furnace I'm going to put you in. They said, we don't care, king. Our God can deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're not bowing to your idol. So they took him, and they put him in this oven to be roasted alive. And while they're in the oven, instead of being burned up, 
a fourth figure appears with them. And Nebuchadnezzar looks and he goes, I thought we put three people in there, but I see four, and the fourth one is like the Son of God. And so throughout the Old Testament, we have these sort of spectacular appearings of God. God appearing and saying basically, hey, I am going to bridge heaven and earth. I am the ladder between heaven and earth. God appearing and telling an old 80-year-old man, hey, I am going to empower you to go. And my presence is going to be with you and your people in a way where I am going to deliver them from bondage and from slavery. God appearing to three young boys who wouldn't go along with the crowd and put their lives on the line, and him being in a furnace where they're supposed to be burned alive, they're protecting them. That's how God appeared, and those are spectacular, spectacular appearances of God, and there's many more that we read about in the Old Testament. But John writes, there is nothing as spectacular as God appearing as a man. There's nothing as spectacular as God looking like us, being like us, experiencing our world, experiencing our life, experiencing our challenges and our temptations. There is no appearing of God as spectacular as Jesus. There's nothing like it. Not God in greatness, not God in glory, but God in humanity, in simple, honest, real flesh and blood. He said, gosh, it's just spectacular. We looked at that, and that is the glory of God. That is the spectacular in God. When the Russians went into space, beat the Americans into the space, the astronaut that went up there reported back, and he said, you know, I'm flying around out of space here, and I can't find God anywhere. There's no sign of God. And C.S. Lewis wrote about that, and he responded to me. He said, you know, the idea that the distance and the gap between human beings and God is spatial is just wrong. God couldn't live in a faraway place up there. We may use that name, the man upstairs. The truth is he's not the man somewhere else. But he's in a different realm than we are, but surrounding us. And all amongst us. The way God manifests himself is not to come down from way up high. But it's simply the same way that Shakespeare would reveal himself to Hamlet. How could he do that? How could Hamlet know there's a Shakespeare? How could he know he has a creator? How could he know there is somebody who is taking the story of his life in a specific direction? The only way Hamlet could ever know such a being exists is if that being wrote himself into the story of Hamlet. And this is what God did in, as, and through Jesus Christ. He wrote himself into the story of humanity. In Jesus Christ, God came through Jesus into the world. God came into the world. And what does that mean for you and I as Christians who want to advance God's purposes, as Christians who want to make our life count, as Christians who want to please God and do His will? It means that you and I need to come into the world also. 
And just as God wrote himself into human history through Jesus, into the human story through Jesus, God wants to write himself into someone else's history through you. He wants to write himself into someone else's history through you. That's his will. That's his goal. I remember when I was a 13-year-old boy living here in Athens, Georgia, going to Clark Middle School. I was a Clark Middle owl, just like you. One of the Clark Middle School owls. We had a much better basketball team than the Bernie Harris over there, and Gator knows that. We talked about that the other day. It wouldn't even have been close. We carried those guys. Anyways, I was a Clark Middle School, and I was 13, and I had you know, gone to church literally Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, and just thought, I can't believe people do this. People would dress up in suits. People didn't live it. We had these quiet, I mean, it was just like, I just can't believe, why am I doing this? Why do we go to this? I couldn't wait till I was old enough to sleep in on Sunday morning and get hours back into my life. I just couldn't wait. When I was an eighth grader, and I just thought, is this stuff even true? I just had all, like, come on, you know, like, how do they know this? I just had a lot of questions. So here I'm in the eighth grade, and a college student named Lou Nix came into my life. And he began to reach out to us. He led one of these Sunday night Bible studies. And for the first time, I thought, oh, this is making a little sense to me. And he would take us bowling, and he would do activities with us, and he would talk with us, and he believed in us. And, and through his life, God wrote himself into my story. I learned about the grace of God. I learned what the gospel really was. And as a 13-year-old boy, I committed my life to Christ. Because God wrote, because somebody allowed God to write themselves into my story. God wants to write you, write himself into other people's stories through your fabulous life. We don't need to go walking around, swimming around in circles, chasing stupid ideas about current events that we have no idea of. We need to be thinking about it. Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world. You and I need to go into the world. Go into our classrooms. Go into our workplaces. Go into our neighborhoods. Go into our gymnasiums. Go into where we live and demonstrate the presence and the power of God. Let God write himself into someone else's story through you. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. And then he ends with this phrase, and he says, he came in the world to do what? To save sinners. To save sinners. To save sinners. There's something about God, I don't know what it is, but he likes to go after the most out there. And Paul talked about this in verse 16. You can read it. He goes, man, when I think about myself, I'm like, I was the most out there there was. I'm the worst there was. This morning I was thinking about this passage. I was thinking about my neighbors. In my neighborhood, I am surrounded. I literally was thinking this out loud. I was thinking, 
yeah, that's good, but my neighbors are all snarky academics. They're the worst people to try to reach. Sorry. I mean, a few of you that are professors here, but it's just, they're just the, like, they, just, they have their minds made up. They're smarter than everybody, and they just, they just, you know, and I've had some conversations with some of my neighbors, and I just, and then I realized something. The Apostle Paul was a snarky academic. He came to save sinners. You know how the book of, you know how the New Testament opens? It's really this really clever, adroit opening by, the, by Matthew. You read chapter 1, and if you ever read it, you just go, oh, this is just a crazy, boring genealogy. It's like a list of who had who, what, what dad had what son, what dad had what son, and it's just a, a genealogy. It's like... Wants to read that, but then there's four places in that genealogy where Matthew breaks it up, does it on purpose because he wants you to think about something. And when he does four places, he mentions the mom, not the dad. And here are the four stories that he does in it because he wants you to think about them. One is a story of a woman named Rahab. Excuse me. The first is a woman named Tamar. She was a woman who lost her husband, who tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her, and they had a baby. Second is a woman named Tamar. She was a pagan prostitute. Rahab, like I said, Rahab. <laughs> Someone say Tamar out there? Let me just stop talking. Anyway, so there was Tamar, then Rahab prostitute then there was a Moabitess named Ruth whose whose people came about through an incestuous relationship two daughters sleeping with their dad and the last was David's son Solomon who didn't even mention David's name in the genealogy it mentions her who had been Uriah's wife and it's the story of David committing adultery and then actually murdering this woman's husband. And we see Matthew is saying something very powerful and very profound about Jesus. Is that in his genealogy, he came through the canal of real, real depraved humanity. Prostitution, incest, adultery, murder. He came through a dark canal because he came for the sinful. It came for those that are out there. I remember my dear friend Stan Evans was here preaching a few years ago when he shared his powerful testimony. Stan was a point guard on our basketball team when I was in high school. Great guy, great friend. He had a powerful testimony of crack addiction and incredible depravity. And now he is born again and he is a powerful man of God. And I remember when he was here, he and I were talking, and, and we were, he asked about Gator. Gator didn't mind me saying this. I talked to him. And uh, I, he were talking about him, and I said, I, I'd taken Gator out to eat, and we had talked a few times, and I said, Stan, Gator's kind of out there. He said, I don't know. Stan looked at me, and he said, no, no, Lee. He called me Moose. That was my name back then. He said, no, Moose. I was out there. I was out there. Trust me, God, God and, and we began to pray. We began to seek God, and 
Look what happened. God wants to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the main point. That's the big deal. And I think a question we need to ask ourselves is, is that being fleshed out in my life? That's the main point. Is that my main point? To come into the world, to reach the sinful. Is God writing himself into people's stories through my life? Am I willing to get involved? Am I willing to build relationships? Am I willing to lay down my life? Am I willing to pay the price to do what it takes to see the salvation of the sinful? Are we just distracted with other things in our Christianity, in our religiosity? Are we just going in circles? Are we missing the point? Are we just low-fat, sugar-free ice cream? That can be discarded. You know, Paul ends with a really powerful thing here in verse 17. When he thinks about this, he just, re he just remembers and recalls the wonder of God, doesn't he? Who is God? The King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. To him be glory and honor and power forever. We just see a love for God. We see a, an extension toward God. The God who wrote himself into our lives. And I just want to encourage you to do that. I encourage you to think about this a little bit. Think about your own life. Think about how God may want to use you. You know, one of our, a couple of our core values in our church, you know, one of them is that every one of us is specifically stationed and uniquely gifted to serve God in ministry. Isn't that powerful? You are uniquely gifted, specifically stationed to serve God in ministry. There's a young man that joined our church about a year and a half ago who had a terrible history of drug addiction. Was a teenager, actually had a scholarship to a major university, lost his dad, and he just went south and got into drug addiction terribly. For two and a half years. Made a mess of his life. He got saved. Got involved in our church. And he began to realize he was specifically stationed and uniquely gifted. There's people he could, he could reach that I couldn't reach. Someone who's had his past. Someone who's been through. You know what we saw in our church? We saw a half dozen people who were in the drug rehab come to our church. Several get saved. Baptized a handful of them. Because why? Uniquely gifted, specifically stationed to serve God in ministry. He had unique experiences. He had a unique location to impact others for Christ that I couldn't. You know, another of our core values is that an authentic life lived for Christ in the real world is more impactful than a spectacular church service. You know, we think spectacular church services are great. And I, we, do, we try to do one here. Kind of try. You know, we do the best we can. We think, oh, we just need to have a spectacular church service. You know how synthetic that is? It just all the stuff that goes on, a prepared message. It's, 
real, but it's not like, it's not real life. There's nothing as impactful and as spectacular to someone who's really interested in God. Not a church service, but someone living where they are, where they breathe, where they live, and they can see it over and over again. You're, you're way more impactful. Your life lived authentically and genuinely for Christ is way more impactful than anything that happens here on Sunday morning in somebody's life. Way more impactful. And so this is, this is the point I think Paul's trying to make here. This is the main point. This is the main thing. This is what he's driving at. Think about this statement. Fully accepted. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And ask God to let you be a part of it. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. There is a special and a powerful and a profound and a very fulfilling way that you desire for everybody here to flesh out this trustworthy statement that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Father, help us live this out. Help us to find our place. Help us to find those in our lives to identify them, to see them where you want to write your presence, yourself, into their history through us. We pray you just give us the grace to be alert to that, to not be distracted from that, and to serve you faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in His purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.